I was gonna I was gonna do this exact same thing. You beat Were me. Were you to gonna it. do it? One hundred, but go for it. <laughs> do, I do have you want to my... do it? Do you want to no, do no, it? No, no, no. I don't. I don't have it pulled up in front of me. You first. This is the toast for the episode. Should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed? God who hears the surges roll, deign to save our suppliant soul. Cheers to that. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Movies Last Night. On today's episode, I'm joined by a good friend and fellow movie junkie, Elliot Neese, to talk about Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Set in the 1890s, the film centers on two lighthouse keepers. One, a seasoned veteran, played by the seasoned veteran himself, Willem Dafoe, and the other, a rookie wiki, played by indie darling Robert Pattinson. The two men become stranded at their post when a severe storm prolongs their stint on a remote island. Soon enough, madness descends upon our protagonists, and what follows is a rollercoaster of insanity involving angry seagulls, a mermaid, copious amounts of booze, bodily fluids, and a few tentacles thrown in for good measure. So I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, Elliot, who will tell us a little bit about himself. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Hi, um, my name is Elliot, and uh, the only reason I'm qualified to be speaking on this podcast is because I went to the uh, uh, University of Belmont for about three months for a motion pictures major. Oh, you did? That's awesome. All of three months. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that's three months more than I did. I can tell you in that time that I learned um, uh, from an old, I forgot his name. He was a music video director in the 80s. And Belmont somehow scooped him up. He did some good work, but he really liked um, a lot of Dutch bands. And as long as it was a single take, uh, he thought it was a good music video. So I guess single takes are the way of cinema. So single takes in, in Dutch bands? That's pretty interesting. I kind of want to check them out now. There's this Dutch band called The Stat, and they have this... Um, uh, it's a, it is admittedly a really good music video for Witch Doctor, and it's just one single take of a camera pulling back from this guy in a crowd, and the crowd is CG, kind of all dancing around the lead singer. And uh, I, I actually will send you that link because it is a, it's a, it, admittedly a very, I'm I'm poking fun at him having a strange kind of narrow uh, viewpoint, but it is admittedly a really good music video. I think you dig it. No, yeah, totally. I love music videos. That's super cool. I never knew that about you. Yeah, I mean, I'm still paying it off. It didn't really last. <laughs> I should have. I I, <laughs> I I went to college uh, in a in a at 19, um, hopeful that I could somehow, you know, figure out a way to pay for it. Yeah. But then life caught up with me really fast, and I do miss it. I wish I could have pursued it a little bit more. Um, I had a lot of fun. I I I, I joke about Belmont, Belmont kids, and. But at the end of the day, I do miss it. It was wonderful. They had just built a new um, uh, building. God knows how many tens of millions of dollars it cost to construct, but they had movie theaters in it, uh, the uh, a recording room with the you know like the sound canceling panels on it. Um, yeah, it was completely cutting edge. It had just opened a suit. My first semester was the first semester it was open, and it was specifically for more media uh, at Belmont and. Um, you know, the the paint was uh, still fresh. You could still smell it. And then I had to leave. And I, I do miss it. I If I won the lottery, I'll go back. Oh, man. Yeah, that's super cool. So would the end, would the, 
if you had to stay there, ultimately, would you ended up making your own like short films? Oh, yeah. I actually was a PA on a couple short films of some of the seniors at the time. Um, that was a lot of fun filming in the parking lots of Belmont. I can't I could not tell you what they were about. It was a whirlwind. It, was, it lasted way too short. But um, there's lots of things I wanted to do at that time. But motion pictures just seemed like something I could gel with. But the thing is, you have to work a job to pay for school. But you're filming on your off days and you're it just didn't work out. I don't know how people do yeah. it. Well, I do know how people do it. They're ri- they're born rich. I was going to say, yeah, that they, they don't need to. Yeah, they don't need to work. Um, no, like trust trust fund kids. I'm just jealous because I would like to do the yeah, same. One hundred percent. Yeah, no judgment. I wonder if Robert Eggers um, went to where he went to film school. He probably went to UCLA or something like that. I'm not sure. I actually didn't research that. Well, let's have a look. I'll let you know. So actually, speaking of which, then that's a good segue. So why are we talking about Robert Eggers today, Elliot? Why why did you bring him up? Uh, because we're talking about the 2019 uh, film, The Lighthouse. Yes, indeed. And uh, was there a reason why you wanted to do The Lighthouse? Because I we mentioned, like, you know, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And yeah, like, what movie would you like to do? Because I always t- always say to people, like, I'm like, we could do anything. Like, I don't care what we what we cover. We'll do any movie. And uh, pretty much, like, without flinching, you turn around and said The Lighthouse immediately. Yeah, what, what was it about The Lighthouse that made you want to do it? I thought about this question over the past couple of days since we decided to do this. And I was actually speaking to um, another friend of ours, uh, Alex, Alex Dunn. And um, we were talking about Blade Runner 2049. And the conversation steered toward talking about how um, when you see a good movie, like let's say The Parasite or something, um, not The Parasite, I think it's Parasite, but you see a movie like that, you love it, you know it's good technically, it won Best Picture, it, there's, and, it, and, and you like it. But it just doesn't, Something about other movies that are good, you know, well-made, they kind of hit you and stick with you. They might not be your favorite, but they're your movies. And um, I think the first time I saw The Lighthouse, something sort of snapped or clicked inside me. And I just realized that everything about how this movie was put together and what it looks like, what it means to me personally, it's stuck. Um, I like it a lot. I wouldn't call it my favorite movie. It's up there, but something about The Lighthouse is just my movie. And I don't know why. It's hard to explain. Yeah, no, that I mean that makes perfect sense. I have movies like that too. Um, and it's funny that you used um, Parasite as a point of reference because I can feel that same way about Parasite. Like when we saw that, Eric and I went to say that at the theaters. And um, I remember being like, like shaken by that movie because it was so intense mm. especially at the end mm. we came out and i was kind of like and you know you get that experience when you come back out into the real world and it's like mm. you're kind of in that transient phase between the dreamscape and then the real world sure especially if a movie is like really good like really pulls you in so as much of an effect as that movie did have like i haven't thought about it since i've never rewatched it yeah i've just like it's just gone and like i probably will at some point watch it again but i that movie for me was like a one and done you know what I mean? And then some movies they'll live on and some movies you just want to keep revisiting. What, uh, before we get into the lighthouse proper, what is your movie or movies? What just something about them just latched onto you like a leech and you just can't tear it off? Well, that's a good question. I mean, like my favorite movie of all time is uh, Pretty in Pink. The, oh. Um, yeah. So that's my favorite movie of all time. Like hands down my favorite movie of all time. And I've probably seen it. I'm estimating probably close to it's got to be over 150 times. Oh my like God. I can pretty much, 
I can quote that movie verbatim, like from start to to end. In um, but that's like a nostalgic thing for me, though. So yeah. like, it's not what like if for like a more recent example of something like that just kind of like got its claws into me. It's pretty tricky. I would say um, of the more recent movies I've seen, so say in the past like five or six years, the ones that I've seen the most are like rewatched the most. I'd mm. probably say. I've seen Blade Runner 2049 quite a few times, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll get back to you. When we're talking, I'll think about that. Because also, sure. you know what it is, is like, for me, sometimes, too, when I rewatch movies repetitively, it's like, um, it's a comfort thing. So, yeah. like, there must be something in the movie that I find comforting or, like, like I can escape into. And I, like, so it's, like, not necessarily the movie I think is the best, but it's the movie that I'll, you know what I mean, like, just jives with me. Um, and it's probably also, it's probably something really cheesy too. It's mm. probably not even something that's good. It's probably something like super cheesy. Like I went through this phase years ago <laughs> when, uh, this is years ago, but I went through a phase where I'd watch Matthew McConaughey romantic comedies all the time, like all of the time. Right on. And I remember watching like Failure to Launch, which is that movie he made with Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm. And I think I've seen that movie like 25 times. And it's just because like, I just put it on before I went to sleep. Even though I'd seen it, I'd be like, I can just, you know, it would help me go to sleep. It's Jesus, so weird. Man. Would you consider Contact a Matthew McConaughey romantic movie? Well, it is romance because I believe him and Jodie Foster sleep together, don't they, in that movie? I, <laughs> I don't know. I think I saw it twice. I remember he played like a, he was the religious side of the argument about the meaning of the aliens. Yeah. And I, that was a compelling move. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that was a good uh, casting call. It was interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good movie. That's a really good movie. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. But I'm pretty sure they hook up in that movie. <laughs> good for that. It's pretty salacious of me to say so, but I think it too. But uh yeah, he is like the um like theologian or whatever you you qualify mm -hmm. him as. Mm -hmm. Um it, because yeah, I guess like they want to uh examine the the possibility of this contact through all kind of like lenses. So then yeah, they bring in like religious experts or whatever. Yeah, good movie. Good movie. Underrated, I think. To get back to what you were saying before, so um, Robert Eggers, who Eric always calls David Eggers, Robert <laughs> Eggers grew up in um, a, a town or a city called Lee, which is in New Hampshire. Mm. His parents, uh, blah, 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 doesn't matter about that. So he moved to New York City in 2001. He was actually born 1983, so he's four years younger than me. Oh, wow. Um, he moved to, yeah, moved to New York City in 2001. Uh, to attend an acting conservatory. So he's, he got into it through acting. Then um, he, uh, let's have a look. He began his career as a designer and director of theater productions in New York before transitioning to working in film. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it didn't say which conservatory he went to, but I guess they would have said if it was a big deal. I'm just reading Wikipedia. I'm not oh like, yeah. You know what I mean? But you know what's funny about Robert Eggers too is, have you seen a picture of Robert Eggers? Have you seen I him? I have. He's, um, I don't know how, uh, what would you call him or how would you place him? Well, it's funny because he does not look like what you'd think he'd look like. I disagree. I think he looks exactly what I, uh, I just like the sort of half goth with a brunette beard, little scruffy. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. What, what were you picturing? Well, I, this is probably wrong and this might make me sound like a tall dick, but, but just judging by his looks, he kind of looks to me like, like an alt bro. What a classic uh, old bro. You know what? When you put it that way, I don't want it to be true, but you're not wrong. I don't know. 
not not there's anything wrong with that and like not that i'm saying like there's I some things like there's some there's some things wrong with that <laughs> somebody's gonna listen to this podcast and be like like who the hell are you to talk about this guy you didn't even make the movie you're talking about this guy's movie and you call him an alt bro <laughs> um, yeah anyway it just doesn't look like what i think you would look like especially for somebody who makes things that are like movies that are so like historically rich and like he's very fascinated with the past i don't know i just expected somebody who looked a bit more this is gonna sound really bad too like scholarly or nerdy yes like i didn't you know what i mean the guy looks a little too cool to be like i don't know it's weird anyway it doesn't matter uh, no yeah. i'm glad <laughs> uh i would rather he looked like this than you like a woody allen that you know that oh, yeah. might feel yeah. more appropriate but my god i'd like that uh Robert Eggers is the way that he is. I haven't seen he's he seems very tight lipped in the few interviews that I watched. Um, he's not a, a bombastic, you know, speaker. He he's incredibly humble about his movies. It seems like they're his little projects, and then he does them, and then he moves on. He's not. Uh, I haven't gotten into him as much as I have his films. Um, mm -hmm. but maybe after this, I'll. Uh, find out a little bit more because i mean my god we can talk about the lighthouse we could also talk about the witch we could also talk about uh, he's doing the northman right coming out pretty soon correct yes <laughs> i mean he's knocking it out of the park with these historical dramas bordering on horror thriller um and this is going to get incredibly reddit and i don't want to even dip a toe into that pond but i was talking about quentin tarantino to some to somebody the other day or maybe it was even just to myself but i was remarking about how um quentin Tino is also somebody who likes to dwell in the little bit more of the recent past with his movies um mm -hmm. well hateful eight admittedly was about like you know over a, a hundred or so years ago um but i think quentin tarantino should really you know open the door to the modern age and i think kill bill maybe was his most modern setting of a film jackie I, brown i think so um but even those feel so very old now because jackie brown in the 90s kill bill in the early 2000s long story short what i'm saying is that i appreciate robert eggers in the past but i would like to see how he would handle a you know 2010s drama of some sort no that's totally legitimate like i say the same thing all the time about um Bloody hell, his name escapes me. Uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums. Yes. Um, what's his name? Wes Anderson. Like Wes Anderson. Yeah. God, I have the same last name as him, and I can't remember his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, I say the same thing about him, though. Like, I would like to see him break out of like the twee, yeah, um, pseudo intellectual kind of tweeish <laughs> kind of like. I want. I want to see him. I want to see him do something like. I'd love to see him do something contemporary. I'd love to see him do a horror movie. I'd love oh, to see him do a sci-fi movie. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And like mm -hmm. to break the mold of that. That's totally normal. And it's funny too, when you were talking about Tarantino, his movies have a 70s vibe, regardless of the period that they're set in, because obviously he's so focused on that like 70s exploitation cinema. Um, so like even movies like Jackie Brown, yeah, which you're right, I think are, when they were released were set in current day him not making movies that are set in current day or present day. So like, Obviously, Jackie Brown, I believe, when it came out in like 96 or 97, when it came out, that was obviously, I believe, set in present day. Mm. But he has such a vibe to his movies and because he's so obsessed with that 70s aesthetic and the exploitation cinema, like his movies play like, like the characters don't really dress as contemporary as they would have done. You know what I mean? Like he stylized everything so much. So like 
I feel like his movies all like have that kind of like a timeless quality to them where they he's he's playing around with it. You know what I mean? It's not like as on it's not as on the head current as say like I don't know, like say that camera crow movie singles that was set in the nineties during the grunge era in Seattle. It's literally to the minute what everybody looked <laughs> like in Seattle at that period of time. You know what I mean? One hundred percent. Um Correct me if I'm wrong, but a hyper-contemporary director would be one like Christopher Nolan. Yep. Yep. He does not see... He did... I take that back. Didn't he do Prestige? Yep, he did Prestige, uh, which is his... Well, he did Dunkirk, too, so we're kind of like... We're kind of... Oh, okay. I take that back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. The the point of it is um, some (laughs) people do uh, their settings very well, and Robert Eggers does his setting very well. And he, like, if he wants to dwell on the past, uh, fine by me, because he pumps out good quality content for sure yeah and only three movies only two of which have been released the northman obviously is wrapped and ready to go which i believe comes out i think it's april so it's actually coming out real soon so no doubt we'll it have is. you back on here when we do the northman for sure it, yes, uh, because sir. i think everyone everyone we know is going to go and see that movie we'll probably all go and see it together i wouldn't mind that whatsoever yeah and a pretty pretty consistent run. So 2015, The Witch, 2019, The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And then 22 is going to be The Northman. So The Lighthouse varies slightly different from his first movie, The Witch, because it was actually co-written with his brother, Max Eggert. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he wrote The Witch solo, solo uh, director, writer. Yeah, he did. And he actually, so when he got to the the lighthouse, which is obviously the movie we're talking about today, he was director, writer, well, co-writer and producer, all three on this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe the movie was put out by A twenty four. I'm guessing it has to be A twenty four. It has to be. Yeah, I I just I I had just rewatched it a couple hours before um, uh, recording this, and A twenty four is the first thing you see as soon as you hit play. Let's. I would like to hear, let's just break it up into halves. What do you remember about the first half? What do you want to talk about the first half of the film? I'd like to hear what you have. Okay, yeah. Well, I watched it again today. Um, I haven't seen the movie since its theatrical release. So um, Eric and I both saw this movie together. Um, Surprise, surprise. And we saw it at... um, we would have seen it at the Bell Court, which is the art house uh, theater screen here in Nashville, Tennessee. So we saw it there. Um, I don't know why AMC wasn't showing it at the time. I don't think AMC had it. I think we all, or AMC was going to get it and then the Bell Court got it sooner and we were in such a hurry to see it because like, I think like everybody else, we were like, oh my God, got to see this movie. So, uh, so we endured the awful seats that were there and watched it. So Flash forward till 2022, and then I watched it this morning before I went into work. Uh, so I haven't seen it in a while, and um, I was struck. So just this is going to be my, my my hot takes of just watching it again today. First thing I noticed, I actually left the subtitles on when I watched it today. Um, now, not that I usually struggle with movies, and like uh, I, I I genuinely don't like. I know people like sometimes if it's like a regional dialect. They'll put they'll put the subtitles on to help them understand, but I don't really struggle with that. Um, so I, the the subtitles were already on by default when I put it on. I think it was through Amazon I watched it. So anyway, long story short, it was on in like I just left them on, and I would like to recommend anybody watching this movie watches it with the subtitles because the subtitles do not distract. If anything, the subtitles kind of gave me a new edge on the movie because I was really it was really 
everything he was saying, specifically Willem Dafoe's character, everything he's saying was like crystal clear because I was reading it. And like, I don't know, it just like, it it kind of changed the vibe of the movie for me. And it, it played way more like a comedy when I watched it this morning. And now it's definitely has comic co- comic elements to it, comic timing, um, which we'll get into. Um, amongst other things specifically i think it's also kind of shot like a horror movie or it's it has like horror overtones um which so they there's like an unsettling balance everything's kind of unsettling about this movie and um that's kind of this the big takeaway i had again which is the same takeaway i had the first time is that the movie this movie specifically um now the witch i would say is more of a straightforward horror movie um, a very very good one, very good, but it's it's tonally the same throughout. I, I think it's like there's it's pitch black. There's not there's no like deviance in tone. This movie is tonally all over the shop, but on purpose. And I think that um, the the whole movie is very disorientating on purpose, uh, which I really really like. Um, I my first takeaway from the movie when I saw it in the theater was that like I I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really really good. It felt like a technical showcase to me, and it felt like a kind of like a I don't know, like I felt a little detached from the movie um, because I felt like it was a little too clever or a little too like, it's it's hard. But I feel like when I watch it again today, when, and like it was it was funnier and it was like a little warmer, um, I kind of really opened up and I actually liked it so much more on this viewing than I did the first time. I agree. Even though when I first saw it in theaters, like I said, it kind of stuck with me. Um... I really enjoy uh, <laughs> um, nautical, I guess, lore feels like the wrong word, but uh, nauticalness is um, a lot of fun to me. <laughs> I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen um, The Master with Russell Crowe? Oh, Master and Commander. Master and Commander. Not The Master. That's with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Yeah. Um, another great movie, but yeah, uh, Master and Commander, it, I think it's a Philip Weir movie or somebody Weir. I forget his name. Anyway, um, that movie rules. That movie is phenomenal. And, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I love the whole, um, like the whole, the romance of, uh, sailing movies and movies based around like the, this movie plays into it like 100%. Um, but there's, there is that like, kind of like, Poseidon, um, Tales of the Sea, like Greek mythology, um, tied into like salty old sea dogs with sea shanties and oh yeah, in like the whole imagery that is conjured up and it's definitely conjured up through Willem Dafoe in this movie. I I love all of that. Like I think it's like I it it's it, it's I don't know. It's like it's just my jam. Like I could watch stuff about that all day long. So like yeah, I do gravitate towards uh, like. I don't know what the genre would be like seafaring movies, even though this movie's not, even though they're landlocked, but it it kind of is because it's like they're landlocked in the middle of the sea, you know? So, yeah. I think there's something to say about nautical themes and nautical movies and movies like this, movies like Master and Commander, and dare I say even Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I think there's something extra romantic or extra um, engaging, intriguing about those sorts of films because... Um, they are there out of mostly every fantasy genre. They are the most detached. Um, you can, uh, you know, people still ride horses like they did in the Middle Ages. Um, people own swords, but there's no more tall ships. 
there's no more pirates. There's no more cannons, uh, sea shanties. And um, there's something about the familiarness of nautical films and nautical talk. And it's familiar, but it's gone. There's no going back. We don't need tall ships anymore. We don't, frankly, lighthouses, I mean, are very important, but what with GPS and everything. So movies like that, movies like this, you know them and you know that they're real, but they're very gone. It's, it's all over. And that's what I think the emotional impact of this film really hits home, especially is because they're working so hard to upkeep and uh, are they are obsessed with this light and uh, the rain, the coal, the shitty quarters that they're lodged in. It's all just because of this lighthouse. And then today it's whatever. It's no matter. It's it's a lighthouse. But um, something about this movie and how intensely they take this light is intriguing because it doesn't matter anymore. That's a really good point. That's a really, really good point. You're totally right. Because it's like it's an it was it was something that was so imperative in like such a uh an interesting for, for people like in an hour day and age like the 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 concept or the notion that you would just go and be like posted essentially and your job was literally the upkeep of this light and this light was obviously to provide um sailors um you know um to to basically save lives essentially and how important the job was but also how it's just like you're just a janitor you were like a janitor on 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 a rock in the middle of nowhere and you're right and like and it's completely it's it's a whole like the very fact of the matter is like when um willem defoe uh is speaking to robert pattinson's character he he says oh you you'll make a great wiki one day and i'm sure everybody collectively who was watching this movie was like oh what's a wiki and then you realize wiki was slang term for somebody who, who maintained lighthouses which did you know before watching this movie? Did anybody know before watching this movie? Exactly. And I think that's uh, like, that's um, to take something that is, yeah, is like a, a, a forgotten trade almost um, in, to, to base your movie in that. It's fascinating because everybody, like when you watch it, you just sucked in because you're like, oh, I didn't know any of this happened. I didn't know this is how they did it. You know, like I just assumed like, but it makes sense because like, did you grow up near a lighthouse? I did. Um, I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in a place called Menominee, Michigan. And um, I was right on Lake Michigan, Green Bay. And there was a big red lighthouse um, within biking distance from my home uh, with a big long pier that kids would jump off of. And surprisingly, I did. I thought about growing up near the water and, and boats and ships a lot while watching this movie. But that one particular lighthouse, I never thought of until you just mentioned that. But yeah, I, from my earliest memories, there was a big red lighthouse uh, very near me. See, I did too. I grew up next to a lighthouse. Uh, um, it's a, a St. Mary's lighthouse in on the northeast coast on the on the north sea where i grew up so that wasn't far from my house at all and it was a similar situation it was they had a causeway that you could only drive across certain times of the day when the tide rolled in and out and then you get on the island and i remember even as a kid i'd go and hang out there and like run around and look at the lighthouse um and i just took it for granted i never like my whole life i never thought oh yeah somebody has to keep that thing switched on and you're right it's another good point too like in today with gps and everything like they, I guess, are defunct. Do they still do this? Do they just keep them operated more as like a like a preservation thing? 
I think because I know that our lighthouse would be on, but it wouldn't be on all the time. Uh, I think it was for especially uh, scary nights, especially foggy days that maybe they would have that thing on. But it's like the last last resort now, I feel like for shipping and whatnot. Yeah, that's yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I agree with you. And um, I just think in general, like the movie... I think the setting of the movie is perfect. I think obviously it would have to be set where it is if it's called a lighthouse. You couldn't set it at a shopping mall, but um, uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's really good. And like watching it again today, so a couple of other things that stood out to me today is I guess this is shot in. I'm not sure what aspect ratio this is shot in. I'm not sure the exact technicality. I don't know if it's academy ratio. Is it what they call it? Four by three. It's four by three. Yeah. Um, now I. I remember, I might be wrong in this, but I remember listening to an interview with Robert Eggers. This is a while back when this movie was coming out and they were talking about specifically um, the cameras that he used. He had to get like a specific lens. It was like, which I guess it might be like a decommissioned lens or something along those lines, specifically to film it in this format. Um, and I have not seen the Cohen, I think it's Joel Cohen, Ethan Cohen's um, Tragedy of Macbeth. But I know visually it reminds from the little bit I have seen of trailers, it does remind me of the lighthouse because it's, I think, the same aspect ratio. And primarily, another big stylistic decision in this movie is to shoot it in black and white, um, which I couldn't imagine this movie done any other way. Nope, not at all. I had a thought about the way that the movie was filmed. The movie takes place in the 1880s, 1890s. Yet the, the how the movie was made feels more maybe like a Buster Keaton 1920s or 30s. Do you, I'm, I agree, it couldn't be made any other way. But why make it this way? It seemed like he took, um, say you film it with uh, in 2022 with the most HD camera that you possibly have in a, you know, you film it for a curved TV. That's how modern it is. And then you scale it back. You scale all those technical details back as far as you can. You're going to hit a gap to when movie making began. Um, like with Trip to the Moon or something like that. Um, or Nosferatu. And that limit isn't to the setting. Is it appropriate then to film a 1950s subject like it was the 1970s? Sure. I don't see a problem with it. But I had that thought. The, the entire movie was like he's making it look old timey, but it's not as old timey as the setting. Is that okay? And to my mind, it was a problem that I made and then answered by myself. Um, another point on how it was filmed and how it looks I, one of the biggest things that I think I'm the only one who noticed or really, really likes is the lightning. Um, it looks like someone took a uh, a black piece of paper and then they cut out like a lightning shape and then behind that uh, black piece of paper they would like move a, a white piece of paper the The way the lightning looks in this film looks so old timey and strange It's it has to be constructed if they filmed actual lightning on those cameras with that lens that you just mentioned then whatever it is it works because it just looks like something out of Frankenstein. The way the lightning streaks across the, the sky. I don't know. It, I'm obsessed with it and I can't stop thinking about it and nobody's talking about it. Well, so 
you were just saying that to me, right? And in front of me on my screen, I have the Wikipedia, which is my go-to uh, for Robert Eggers. And I'm looking at the career section as you're speaking and, and listen along. So this might this might give us a clue as to the 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 style of it. It actually speaks directly to what you were saying. So in July of 2015, Eggers was actually going to write and direct a movie called The Vampire, which is a remake of the 1922 silent film Nosferatu, which you mentioned there. Okay, so I'm guessing, and I might be wrong in this, but I'm just just guessing that he was set up to make this movie. The movie fell through and went put on hold. When he wrote and directed The Lighthouse, I think he's approached it as if he was making remaking Nosferatu by filming it in that specific time, which you said, which would have been the same period of time. Buster Keaton got to be around the same period of time. I'm not, a, I'm not a film scholar, but I'm guessing around that period of time, roughly. Um, and yes, the movie is shot like a horror movie. It's shot in 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 that black and white and that aspect ratio, so it has that kind of um, that kind of like overly gothic. Um, you know what I was thinking when I watched it? So like, yeah, what you were saying, what you were saying is totally right. That that makes perfect sense when you said that. And you and you mentioned Frankenstein, you mentioned Nosferatu. But what I was thinking when I was watching it too was like, am I just imagining this? Um, but the movie just it feels like a play, and I you could I could think you could easily literally move this to the stage the can the the angles are very flat um there is i can't say there's even a bit of steady cam it, it's very left to right right to left um it feels as much of a play as the hateful eight did no totally and well they did those script readings of the hateful eight that came out where it's it's pretty much like that and i might be wrong but i think I think Defoe and Pattinson did a reading of this movie that might be online somewhere. I, think I would sell my for... soul to see it live. I would look that up because I think they did. Because like when I'm watching it, I'm like, yeah, this would totally work on stage, which again makes sense because he started an acting conservatory and we wrote um, theater productions, which makes perfect sense because the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, yeah, you could easily just put this on stage and it would work. It would be fascinating because the movie is there are no other actors other than the mermaid, the actress who plays the mermaid, who's briefly in it. Um, and then the character, oh, well, the actor who is the actual um, Ephraim Winslow. Um, he's, that's it. That's the only two. On, the, on IMDb, they have a bunch of other actors. I, but you know, what, you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Actually, the se the seagull is credited. <laughs> the seagull is credited. I think. What is that? <laughs> there is some CG in this movie. Um, there's the, um, and we can now we can begin to get a little bit more into the plot. Um, right as uh, Robert Pattinson's character, uh, who is named Ephraim Winslow, um, who we later learn is actually named Tommy, um, for a reason. Um, ah, there's, and this is another thing I need to speak about. The very shit takes a lot of analysis videos I've watched have on this film. Um, usually, I'm not trying to be a contrarian, but my God, I've I watched maybe three, four analysis videos, and a lot of them were very good. But there's this one, and I told you this. There's this one salient point about this film that I have to make because the discourse around this film is both good and absolute shit. The patter on this film could not be worse. Um, anyway. Uh, Robert Pattinson, as he first arrives on the um, island, I think it's the second night he's already 
having dreams and seeing visions. And um, one of the CG elements in this film is, um, do you remember the log jam, the logs rolling mm -hmm. up onto the sea? Um, mm -hmm. The CG didn't stand up for it being filmed so archaically. It looks pretty good. You can tell it's obviously fake, but it's not glaring. And um, the seagull has to be fake, doesn't it? No, I think the only time the seagull's fake is when he's bashing it against the rock. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, my obviously. God. Yeah. I, I hope I, so. <laughs> I hope so as well. I hope so as well. Um, I just the, how they how they managed to wrangle that seagull. That seagull needs an Oscar right now. Yeah, I th I think it's I'm pretty sure it's. A, I mean, but seagulls though, like ultimately, you just have to put some food down, and they're gonna drop that. Like, I mean. They're pretty simple beans, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm interested to know how they shot the uh, the very end sequence when he's on the rocks and he's getting eaten by the seagull. I'm interested how they did that because the whole time, because obviously the top half of his body is moving and it's in Yusuke Tal's him, but then obviously the rest is like a fake prosthetic. Scott, where did all of his, where did all of his clothes go at the end of the film? Mm, good point. Well, okay, so... This is going to bring. This is a point I want to bring up about the movie. Okay, so I think what's interesting about this movie, if I had to pick a fault with the movie, and the reason why I think the movie didn't connect with me, is because so the movie obviously is rich in metaphors. Mm -hmm. uh, now, smarter people than me who could do analysis videos and could break it down. And like I, I, I briefly started watching some just to give me a rough idea what people were saying, but I actually stopped watching them because I was like, I don't want this to like. I don't, I don't want what what these people are saying to like crowd what like cloud what I think of this movie um because I think you could read a lot of the stuff in this movie like a million different ways and um but what I think's interesting about this movie is I would say this movie to me is a little bit like there will be blood in in the sense of well obviously period and then um but in a movie like There Will Be Blood, which is blat blatantly like a whole metaphor for like capitalism, like um, Plain Plain View, Daniel Plain, Plain View is basically capitalism personified in America in that period of time. Um, now, there's, there've been people saying about this movie that Robert Pattinson's character um, Thomas Howard or Ephraim Winslow is um, caught up in that like capitalist gold rush to like go out and make a ton of money. You know what I mean? He was working in the logging industry. Like it, it, everything's just booming in America, so he's like he's just trying to make a book. You know what I mean? And like so, there's there's a lot of things. That, but to get to my point, there will be blood. Plays very very straight, um, despite the fact of it being essentially one big metaphor it plays and it has like a full narrative this movie has a narrative but what what this movie does which kind of throws me and i can't decide if i like it or i don't like it is with the inclusion of dream sequences that are like um just thrown into the movie thrown in very very quick now the movie and then with the ending of the movie and it how it being disjointed and not making any sense in terms of how did he get we see him fall down the stairs after he looks into the uh to the to the to the light we see him fall down the, yeah but then he loses his clothes he's on the beach like and then the the sections with a mermaid um so you the movie's definitely playing like is this happening is this not happening is this in his mind is it not in his mind um willem dafoe um thomas wake is basically gaslighting him the whole movie um, saying, oh, you, you know what I mean? We've been here for days. Like, you think it's, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, he's everything he's doing, he's kind of like going against him and he's like playing like a mind game with him. 
or is he playing a mind game with them? So like, but I think that for me, the va- like the vagueness of of that stuff and the inclusion of potential supernatural things, like it it, it clouds the movie for me a little bit because I just feel like it's 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 too vague. And I think it's purpose purposely too vague. And like you can either get on board with that and like I'm not saying I I don't like it. I do. I enjoy all of it. But I feel like it just muddles it a little bit too much where I'm like, I'm kind of guessing, like, which I guess is the point. But like, you know what I mean by that? <laughs> no, I do. Um I would compare this movie to like uh another movie that takes place on an island, Shutter Island with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, not to give too spoil not to give too many spoilers on that, but the best part about that movie was how the ending showed you the truth. Um, there was a lot of trippy, strange things happening throughout the entirety of Shutter Island. And you're not sure, you're sure, you're not sure. And then at the very end, um, even though it was vague, more or less, they tell you and they give you a little wink. Um, the lighthouse gives you no wink. The lighthouse just <laughs> it embraces the weird and it embraces the strange and it embraces the dreams and just asks you to bear with it and half of me uh, absolutely adores it but then the other half does want somewhat of a clear cut answer which we never get it yeah it's it's uh, that's a good pull though shutter island because it yeah it's it uh... Shutter Island's very similar. I I read the book. I read the book a while back. I really really like that. I actually really like the movie too. The interpretation of the movie from the book. Um, and um, there was a um, it. This is kind of a subgenre of movies though, um, where where people turn out to not be who they think they are, or in this case, it's it's it turns out to be not who they say they are. Um, but there's a subgenre of movies who people who turn out to not be who they think they are, which is like a, a cure for wellness, which came out recently, which is um, a great movie. Um, but like, yeah, so like, which is very much Shutter Island. It's basically Shutter Island. But uh, yeah, so like that for me just kind of, I don't know. But then again, like I'm the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm kind of convinced myself that I do like it. So I don't know. <laughs> yes, that's uh, that's how I straddled with the movie. Um well, uh, I had a few points. Um, I hate to bring it all the way back to the how the film was made and when we were talking about um, you know, Robert Eggers' uh, projects that he was going to be working on and the lighthouse came along. Um, I have a few points, and I'm sure you do as well, but one of the points um, that I noticed on the second rewatch, and tell me if you saw it too, um, there is uh, no stars, there is no moon, and there is no sun. The only, um, especially interior lighting that we see comes from lamps. Um, I watched the entire film. You never see a shot of the sun. You never see a shot of stars and you never see a shot of the moon. Um, clearly during the daytime scenes, you know, with overcast and everything, there's lighting. But um, the only lighting that we get throughout the entire film comes from lamps. Yep, it does. You're totally right. And it's funny because I'm actually looking at screenshots as you're saying and like everything, every time there's a light on a screenshot, it's from a lamp. Yep. You do see like a reflection across the sea of the moon, but the camera never shows you. And I, I, I think <laughs> I saw a meme about how this movie is about two moths because they're just attracted to the lamp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, essentially. Yeah. So in that case, then let me ask you this and um what is the significant what is the sign what do you think he's trying to say about the light like so the whole movie is alluding to the fact that like um defoe has become entran- 
entranced almost by this light. Um, so it's, and then obviously Pattinson is, is basically trying to get in. He's like, why wouldn't you let me work the light? Can I get in to see the light? Um, we know that there's some, it has like an intoxicating power. So yeah. What do you think is, what, what do you think that, what does it represent? What is it? Um, well, uh, I have a quote here from Eggers that I will read. Um, but, um, well, I'll begin with this quote. Um, Eggers said that when you're looking at that light, you're commuting with something that's not human, that's beyond human, that's eternal. And I think that is especially attractive to our two characters because um, they have very, both of them, very troubled, storied pasts. And they both, it seems like, want to be a part of something bigger, um, something eternal and cosmic and greater than themselves. And... Um, Wake is a washed up sea dog and Winslow is uh, frankly a killer on the lamb and both are in essence and opposition. They're, they're finished pretty much. Um, Wake is finished because of his age and Winslow is finished because of his pretty much escaping murder or manslaughter. They both require something bigger than themselves. And I think the light gives them that for whatever reason. Um, then you could also take a more Freudian look at the film and say that the light is the mother and wake is the father and Robert Pattinson is experiencing a powerful Oedipus complex, um, so far that he has to kill wake to get to the mother. I, that is, and, and Eggers on, I think the Wikipedia page speaks about how he wants Freud and Jung to watch the movie and eat popcorn. Um, I think that's a fine interpretation. Uh, but to me, I don't believe the light is sexual in any way whatsoever. Um, ergo, the very apparent homoeroticism throughout the entire film. I don't think the film is a uh, a gay piece, but the light is definitely not sexual. Uh, Wake Def, he, he calls it she and her and wife a lot, but I, I don't I don't really see it like that. Um, after watching so many analysis videos and reading so many articles, I'm more confused than ever about what the light is. And I think that's awesome. I think that's wonderful. I think that's exactly what Eggers wants you to feel. I don't know what the light is, but I will. I, I, I like to, with a lot of movies, take a very grounded, um, maybe even mental health perspective i don't believe it's supernatural nor aliens or anything like that i think the light and especially robert pattinson's character laughing at the very end of the film he's realizing that it's beautiful but it's nothing i think i just think the light's a focal of fixation because they're so alone they need something and it's it's just, it's nothing at all. Yeah, because if you think about it too, so the, the light itself as a function is, um, it's basically for safety. So like it, in its actual function, which is, you know, like for to guide sailors through uh, stormy weather. Um, it, so yeah, so the, I mean, it just, it kind of represents that first and foremost in terms of what it represents and what it actually is. So it's like that's literally what it does. Its its sole function is to provide safety uh, and safe passage for people. 
Now, if it's to provide safety and safe passage, it's also providing passage, I guess, from one life to the other life for um, both characters in a sense that they both, you know, are transitioning through, uh, they both die. They both move on to the other side. But also, interestingly enough, if you think about it too, <coughs> if like the, the analogy of like moths to a flame or moths to a candle or whatever, um, they both characters are kind of like that in terms of their addictive personalities. So they're both like drawn to alcohol, um, to to uh, shiny things, which I guess would you know like the whole the whole concept of ch he's chasing money. Um, uh, Robert Pattinson is trying to make as much money as he can. So like he's like there's that tied into it too. And then think about it too, the siren, which would be the mermaid. So the I I think mermaids might be a Greek myth i'm not sure 100 i'm not an educated person by a long shot but like the isn't the whole thing with sirens is that they would beckon people and like attract um sailors and then lead them ultimately to their doom so so then we have the mermaid inclusion in this which so like you have all of these things which is basically you have the light that's leading them you have the mermaid that's leading pattinson um and then you have yeah, then tie that in again with the Oedipus complex, um, with in, like with the light being the mother, uh, default being the father, um, and then yeah, and it, I'm pleased you mentioned the homoeroticism too because like, I I agree with you in that I do not think that the light is a sexual, uh, well, anything sexual about the light, um, but there's definitely like a weird tension between the two characters um which ties which culminates in the point where at one point where they're hugging and you could say they're going to kiss and then they don't and then they're like then they then they fist fight because like which again then could just be something we could be talking about masculinity and like um uh like how men are with each other you know what i mean and well, like you know yes um if you want to go into the homoeroticism, I have a point to make about actually one of the shots of the film. Um, you may have seen this. Uh, uh, it's very brief in the film, but you remember that shot with um, Willem Dafoe nude, um, kind of holding uh, um, Winslow's hand and looking out uh, and his eyes are a spotlight mm -hmm. staring down at him. That is actually a uh, piece by a guy named uh, Sasha Sh uh, Schneider called a hypnos do you know about this no i did not um it's a uh piece by um sasha strider who's a german artist uh the piece is called hypnos it's very beautiful uh but the shot in the film and the painting itself are virtually a one-to-one -one. but um i'll have you know that sasha sasha schneider was a homosexual uh living in germany um between 1870 to 1927 he died at 56 and I think that oh. Robert Eggers' inclusion of this imagery in that film from a openly homosexual artist in a very, uh, not, let's call it not friendly time, um, mm -hmm. that's immediately speaking volumes to what he wants the movie to be. Yet, Robert Eggers himself has said that, no, 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 I don't want them to be gay. This isn't about them being gay. Um, and I agree, they're not. They're very, very clearly... It's not about them being gay. It's them being alone. Um, their love and their, that like near kiss and their on again, off again relationship has nothing at all to do with homosexuality, but it has everything to do with them having nothing but each other. Well, yeah, I, that's totally the way I read it too. I felt it, it's more of a source of comfort. Like yes. you have two men who are like two broken men 
um, who are alone in it. Yeah, I I I read all of that like comfort. I didn't read any of it like as it, like in. And I think the the very point, the very fact of the matter that everybody is jumping to homosexuality when they think about this movie just speaks to the fact that way we see men like the way we like immediately if if one man is affectionate to another man that it's it's automatically sexual you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. um because that's just that that's just society that's how we see like men like you can't show affection you can't show weakness you can't show you know what i mean like if if you are affectionate and openly affectionate to another man then it has to be you must be it must be a sexual thing you know what i mean and there's well, definitely like that that comfort i think that they're trying to get and it doesn't help that the lighthouse is obviously a very phallic object. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> to say the least. And I, he, yeah. Robert Eggers actually wanted to include in the film, um, I think there's a rotating shot of when Robert Pattinson is masturbating in the boathouse. <laughs> and there's a rotating shot of the lighthouse going from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen. He wanted to actually have Robert Pattinson's <laughs> erect penis, but the, uh, the uh, film producers decided that it wasn't... Um, uh, the, <laughs> yeah, the best idea like, yeah the, yeah i mean totally it makes perfect sense <laughs> yeah i i think that's totally like i think that's a good read on it like i definitely i i 100 agree with that like i don't think the sexuality really it doesn't really it's not really that important um i did i did get like the whole father-son relationship between them though in mm-hmm. terms of like you know um you got the older more experienced salty sea dog and then you got um Pattinson's character who's just like you know he, he knows about it. well what I could think what I was thinking about when I was watching it is essentially when we were watching the movie we are Robert Pattinson we we are um we are new to this we don't know anything about it so is he's learning literally everything about it we are mm-hmm. learning about it too so like we're definitely seeing things like him so a lot of times when Defoe's like oh you need to go get the oil for this you need to pin this like a lot like I could feel myself alongside Pattinson's character I could feel myself being like why do, why why do we have to do this like yes. you know what I mean like like I, and like I I could feel myself being irritated by him as much as the character was which I thought was really clever because like I think the whole time like he's very much like a source of uh, provocation in this movie to to the audience too I think and and also he's he's like he's he's so like cantankerous and like hmm. uh, mean spirited uh it, it's pretty interesting it's like yeah it, it, it i mean we can talk about the performances too i suppose but i think defoe's phenomenal in this movie like i couldn't imagine anybody else playing that role like at he, all. he just kills it he delivered a monologue with a mouthful of dirt and uh yeah 30 seconds later came back with an axe in his hand chopping at robert pattinson he did a terrific job both of them did um, Robert Pattinson did that interview where he was talking about how Robert Eggers was speaking to him about how the movie is essentially uh, Willem Dafoe going rah, 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 and Robert Pattinson going rah, 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 rah. that's the entire <laughs> film is just these two competing strange late, late uh, 19th century accents thank god for subtitles is all I will say Oh yeah, the subtitles help. I mean, because like we could talk about this too. Like, um, Eggers is known specifically for the witch of um almost reviving like a dead language. Well, not a dead. Well, yeah, in a way, like um the 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 language used um was so period specific to that time in a lot of words and phrasing that just people don't use anymore. So like you oh, know yes. that's a, it's a, that also ties in with the 
the concept of like that trade, that lighthouse trade, it being like a dead art, like the language is kind of dead. So like, I think a lot of people struggled with the witch because they were like, why they, why did they sound like this? This isn't Chaucer. You know what I mean? But hmm. people, people did speak like, we forget that that's like, you know what I mean? Like, um, at that period of time, there was a whole like version of the English language that's like, it's gone. You know, I, the most interesting thing, and I, 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 I've said this before to you and to many people. I hate to bring it up again. Um, Robert Edgar's uh, Witch and Lighthouse and how those characters speak is, I feel, akin to how Quentin Tarantino makes his characters speak. It's not real. It's accurate. And that's how people talk sometimes. But we're never. But it's heightened. Yeah, we're never nearly that clever. But and then Robert Edgar's for The Lighthouse and the Witch. It's heightened. It's the old, the, I mean, um, when uh, Willem Dafoe is laying into Robert Pattinson about sucking the rust off the nails and clabbering the clapboards, yeah. like nobody mm-hmm. speaks like that, but it was damn close. So it's so fascinating to hear this language. And <clears throat> if you thought you needed subtitles for The Lighthouse with The Witch, you're far gone. I, I actually feel genuine sympathy for English as a second language people um, listening to The Witch because... My oh God. yeah, that, my God! Yeah, yeah, the the witch is almost impenetrable. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, totally. perfect word. But like, yeah, and like, um, the, I suppose it, you would probably find Pattinson, Pattinson's dialect and in, in his phrasing would have been more accurate, I think, because he's way less theatrical and flowery than Defoe. Like, way less. But also, Defoe's older. But like, still, like, um, there's the. Defoe's whole character is so larger than life in almost all regards. And you're right, nobody speaks like, nobody just delivers monologues mm. like that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. nobody does. And that monologue specifically where he's getting buried alive is, <laughs> is it's he, phenomenal. He uses the word protein, which, yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I I could, is that from the Halo universe? <laughs> I don't, I know. <laughs> I It's phenomenal. Um, and there's actually a point where Willem Dafoe's character says to Rob Benson, you have a way with words, Tommy. And that, to me, it was very self-referential. I think that the best part about this movie is that if you did that dialogue and, um, with his monologue about when he says Hark, um, Triton, um, and he curses Winslow for uh, not enjoying his lobster. If you did that for the entire movie without the farts, without the masturbation, Without the Robert Pattinson um, calling Willem Dafoe short, if you did that throughout the entire film, it would have just been Shakespeare. It would have been Macbeth, and it would have been great, but it would have been very pretentious and very uh, inaccessible. So uh, Robert Eggers and his brother knocked out of the park with combining this archaic, flowy, beautiful, poetic monologues with uh, several fart jokes. Yeah, which is sublime, which I love. Uh, the word protein, one meaning of which is changeable in shape or form, is derived from Proteus, which is a Greek, uh, perhaps a Greek god. Um, so yeah, that's like, it, yeah, great. But like, again, tying into the whole Greek mythology, you know what I mean, Poseidon, in um, the whole, like, in, in a lot of when, you know, you were talking about that painting that or the picture that inspired that specific scene where he's standing over him and his eyes are lit up and they're staring down at him. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. When I saw that, obviously not aware of the artist or, or where that where that image came from, I the, the 
the thing that sprang to mind when I watched that was like Zeus or something. Like it looked yes. like very like like you know what I mean? It, it, um, I have one larger point, than life. I have one point to make about that real quick, and I think that's the biggest point of the entire movie is both talking about the film and the discourse surrounding the movie, which I absolutely abhor. But that's for another day. Um, clearly, you speaking of Zeus, um, you saw the Prometheus. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mythology i guess what i'm trying to say methodology too um i see and this is my one point if i'm going to leave this podcast with anything it's saying this is that um a lot of uh youtubers a lot of content creators and uh, people who write articles uh, they'd love to latch on to this prometheus uh, uh imagery and everybody I mean, absolutely everybody has completely, completely missed the mark. Um, The Prometheus uh, myth, very briefly, is about how the Titan Prometheus gave the humans of the Earth fire, um, both physically and and metaphorically as knowledge, technology, and whatnot. And um, Zeus and the other gods were very upset with him. They chained him to a rock, and an eagle every day would eat his liver. And the Greeks back then understood that the liver regenerates. So every day the liver would grow back of Prometheus and the eagle would eat it again. Um, Very much like the end of the film where the eagle vis-a-vis a seagull is eating his innards. And Robert Pattinson was searching for the light, searching for fire. Everybody is going on about this Prometheus connection. And I admit I do understand it. But yet, what... Ephraim Winslow, what Robert Pattinson's character was doing was selfish. Prometheus gave fire to humans. Um, He was sympathetic towards them. He understood their place in the world and their lower status, and he wanted to give them knowledge and fire, and that was a sin. Zeus did not like that. Um, Everybody accepts this film as a Prometheus analogy, and I disagree completely. It's not that at all. It's Prometheus revisited. It's Prometheus adjacent. It's not about Prometheus. <laughs> Ephraim Winslow yeah, did, was a so. selfish son of a bitch, and he wanted the light for himself. It's as if Prometheus stole fire for himself. And I'm just, I'm so upset seeing it over and over and over again, and nobody mentioning the fact that Prometheus was a giving, caring titan, and Ephraim Winslow is a selfish um, very suspicious man. I don't know. I, I, if I hear that comparison again, I'll go mad. Yeah. But I think it's just like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I find like film theory or like, um, I don't know. It's such a fine line. I feel like I've, I've watched some good like, uh, video essays. Um, and I've read a few essays on movies that have like, have been really eye opening for me and have really helped me see a movie in a specific way. But I've also watched a lot and seen a lot where I'm just like, I feel like it muddies, it muddies my opinion too much. And I feel like there's also like, is an echo chamber when it comes mm-hmm. to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like one person will say something and the next person, which is why I'm kind of like, I'm also like really skeptical about watching too much of them before I do a podcast, because I don't want any of it to like seep into what I'm saying, because it will do, of course it's going to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, um, and that's not, that's not my thoughts. You know what I mean? I'm not, perhaps I'm not educated enough to, to, to pull those <laughs> references and like, but it, it doesn't matter about where I am. At. It's, it, it's really about what I feel and how it makes me feel. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I feel like 
I'm more interested in how the movie makes me feel than being like, oh, well, this is because of this and this is because of that. And he read this and he read that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when we when we talk about art in like any kind of art, when we become so caught up in the process of making the art and less in terms of what the art is making us feel, we're doing it a disservice because like, yeah, he probably did. He, he, he's obviously pulling from like a ton of different source material mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a ton of stuff. And like the guy's very clever. Like he's clearly very clever. Um, but ultimately it's like, is it is it am i getting this vibe am i am i feeling the vibe is it getting me off like am I, am I enjoying it like is it scaring me is it making me laugh is it you know like that's that's i feel like the, the most important part part of what it is you know And we're back. Um, you wouldn't know it, but we actually took a short break there. Um, we also were having technical difficulties as we want to do on movies last night. So thanks everybody for the patience and um, sticking with us this far. So we're back in. This is technically part two of the episode on The Lighthouse. So um, Elliot, there was one thing I just wanted to bring up real quick with you. It was a theme that I kind of noticed throughout the, well, it's not really, the, I don't know. It's just something I thought was interesting. So it's relating to the 14 Mm. <laughs> that goes on in the movie so um the um the horn sound at the beginning of the movie where the movie starts we have that um the horn sound of the lighthouse now i'm not 100 percent sure how those horns work um but i'm guessing it's some expression of air okay or expulsion of air oh in the horn now we also have that and we also flip across to uh, very early on in the movie to Willem Dafoe's character farting in the room, <laughs> which is just priceless. That's his actual introduction before there's any words or anything. Um, they're walking I think so. up to their bedroom and he's whistling and farting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I remember in a theater when that bit happened, um, everybody was laughing. It was so funny. It yes. was just like, I don't think anybody expected it. But so we have that. And then also, I'm not 100% certain on this, but the soundtrack to the movie, I believe has some like wood instruments or like brass. Like it's, so we have, uh, at one point it sounds like a didgeridoo mm. um, is playing <laughs> alongside the, um, but didgeridoo again is the expulsion of air. So like this wind in air. And then there's also um, a noticeable scene. I think it's just after he kills the seagull, the camera pulls up to the top of the building and then we see the uh, compass flip. So the wind is blowing westerly mm -hmm. and it shifts. It starts blowing north, um, north northerly or whatever, <laughs> however you say that word. Uh, so there's a change in the wind too in the movie. <laughs> so like the, the, the wind picks up from being 
a uh, and he actually says it to him to uh, Willem Dafoe's actually is like you've been complaining about the wind all this time but it's not that bad now it's going to get really bad now the wind's blowing north and he was like you, you're not used to this because you're working obviously in the the lumber industry and you're surrounded by trees so like even slight wind on an island like this in the middle of the sea is is pretty brutal um so i don't know there's just like I, that's a recurring theme i i just noticed it no that's i that's a very good point and, and the, the very end of the film is him screaming at the light um mm-hmm. i i think that's that's not reaching so much i did have a oh god i, I had a thought right as you were going through that and then i was going to hold on to it until you were finished um you were talking about uh, the the music of the film is obviously beautiful. Um, it should be noted that I think this was uh, for the Academy Awards um, nominated for Best Original Screenplay. I think it was nominated. It didn't win, which is a travesty. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that that is a very good point. I wish I could remember what my thought was at that time. But um, what do you think that do you think it means anything at all? Or I don't know. I don't know. But if you think about it too, at the end when he's screaming and yeah. he's like staring into the light, there's no sound. It's it, but no, I disagree. Um, oh, there is. It's it is. It's distorted. It's hyper distorted. So it's jacked. Really. Yeah. It's it's because it's you can tell because you can see when Robert Benson like takes a breath and then exhales. Um, you can clearly say they just took all the sliders on the audio engineering board and they just racked yeah, jacked them. it. And and mm-hmm. it it's so jarring, and you can't tell if he's in pain or if he's if he's laughing. I don't know that that expulsion of air has to mean something. I mean, you can go into breath of life, you can go into a lot of different things. But wow, no, I didn't think about that. That's intriguing. Yeah, yeah, it just came to me this morning. I thought I'd mention it. Um, so, anything you want to mention? There are, I mean several this movie is built to be interpreted which is both good and bad um there's the like Jungian two sides of the same person with wake and uh um Ephraim winslow um wake is it, like a bestial id winslow is uh the desire ridden ego um you can have nietzsche's anonymous uh, anonymous morality play into it i I like interpretation up to a point, and um, I feel a lot of commentators, several podcasts, several videos, they can reach. I think we have to remember at the end of the day that this is a film that's supposed to tell a story. Um, do you do ratings? Do you ever do numbers? Do you do ratings for films? No, 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 no. I, I, we, we don't. Uh, we. I mean, we'll occasionally say something just as a, a frame of reference, but like we don't like rate. I I I personally don't like rating things on a yes. number scale. Like I yeah. feel like it's kind of archaic, and I feel like it's also like I don't know. It I feel like in in twenty twenty two, and this this applies to old media, and like this applies to like video games, to music, what what have you. Um, in the whole Rotten Tomatoes and the Metacritic score, like. It, it's there's almost as if like if it's not a 9.9 or 100 percent then it's not good mm-hmm. like if, if something comes out and it's like oh well the new spider-man movie is already sitting at like 70 percent fresh on rotten tomatoes it must be a shit movie mm-hmm. and you're like oh, <laughs> like <laughs> you know i think it's such it's such a weird like it like it's almost as if like people don't understand how it's if, if it is a marked out of five and it's and it's like a four that's pretty good like but like 
it just feels weird to do that, you know? And I think it just leads to like, and it's so subjective. Like, yes. uh, who, who am I to say? Like me and you could talk about this movie for hours. We clearly both like the movie. Like <laughs> somebody could listen to this podcast and be like, the movie sucks. Yeah. It, it's, it's just as valid for them to have that, you know? It, this, if you told somebody to sit down with you and watch a archaically spoken black and white four by three movie about two males on an island and, oh, they get really lonely, that doesn't really draw somebody in. And then you watch the film and you see the beauty and you see the art. It's it's all subjective. It's all something, you know, for you. Um, Anthony Fantano is a big meme in the music industry about giving soft fives and soft sixes and hard nines. And I don't, I, I agree. There's a movie I want to watch um, with a, a big group of friends um, called Kuso by Flying Lotus. Have you heard about Kuso? It came out a couple of years ago. Oh, it did. I'm aware of Flying Lotus um, only uh, on the peripheral, like in, in terms of like, I'm aware who he is. I, I can't say I've listened to Flying Lotus, so I'm be, if I'm being honest. It sits at like a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. Fuck that. It is a surrealist body horror, gory, strange horror thriller movie with uh, Tim Heidecker, Hannibal Burris, The Buttress. It's a fun movie. It's it's fun. It's fine. Some movies are very bad. Some movies are pretty good. I The number rating is just uh, for ease of convenience and... I mean, if you're going into films for ease of convenience, then don't watch The Lighthouse. But it's a good movie. Um, some people are divided on it. Um, I was actually just talking to my roommate about that. Some people really like it. Some people really don't like it. I feel like if you're watching The Lighthouse, you're going to like The Lighthouse. If you're if The Lighthouse is sprung on you, you're probably not going to like The Lighthouse. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think if you if you were watching, if you chose to watch The Lighthouse then you're more than likely going to like it. Like, I feel, yeah, you're right, because you wouldn't, A, you wouldn't know what it is. B, you wouldn't, like, you wouldn't be drawn to it. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, the very fact that, like, we sought it, we sought the movie out. Like, I I made a point. Like, I couldn't wait to see it when it came out. But that's because I'd seen The Witch, and that's because I follow, like, art house, like, movies, you know, and, like, indie movies, and, like, that's, like, my jam. So, like, I was already primed to like it, like, if I had have disliked this movie, that would have been shocking to me because even if it wasn't good, I would probably still like it. Yes, I um, I'm taken back to the witch, which <laughs> forgive the pun, which um, I remember when the trailer came out for the witch, I was told by a couple of close friends at the time, and what you said that was 2014, 2015. 2015 i think uh yeah 2015 yeah i remember i i don't know if you remember when the even the trailer came out um i was told by more than one person to like watch this trailer it's the scariest trailer that you've ever seen and i think that was very i mean for his first film he the marketing knocked it out of the park the trailer was terrific i'm worried though that people saw the movie expecting a bit of a village vibe um I, and then, you know, how they reacted to the film with its strange language and uh, strange uh, ending. Um, the marketing for The Lighthouse was a little bit more on the nose. The marketing for The Witch was very broad because maybe he was a first-time director. The studio A24 was big, but it wasn't as big as it is now back then. The Lighthouse did a pretty damn good job on its marketing. Um, I remember... 
the marketing for this film was pretty spot on. I knew what I was going to get into because I had enjoyed the witch and I knew a 24. Um, yeah, I would, this podcast is fun and all, but what would be really intriguing would be to see a, uh, complete neophyte to Robert Eggers and see their interpretation of what it all meant. If, if at the end of the movie, they were like, well, I don't, I don't get it. That's fine. I, that's fine. But I, I, I have yet to see somebody cold Turkey, this movie. And, uh, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm too in deep with all this. Clearly I own the script. Um, my girlfriend, uh, bought me the script for, uh, Christmas. Um, it, it actually, as I was reading through it today and months past, um, the, the, whatever script this is, whatever version is very different from the film. Um, I don't even believe that the script has the what scene, which we could get into about the, the what back and forth, but no, I just, in conclusion, great movie. One of my favorites. Um, uh, I have, I, again, I don't like numbers. I don't like placements. It's conceivably in the top five, maybe, but, um, I think what, and I'd like to know your, um, I guess shtick or your thing about this film is for me, what this movie does is transport me and Lord knows I like to escape reality. So if a movie can take me there, it it's, it's, it's it for me. And this movie took me there. This movie took me there hard. Um, first five minutes, you know, the world around me dissolves first five minutes. I am in this movie. I would I would say with this movie, if I had to give my as we're wrapping the episode up, and I would like, obviously there's a ton of stuff I think we could have went into and we haven't, but that it doesn't matter. We, we, this is just this is just a conversation, and we're just you know like, um, we're really just touching base on this movie. But if I if I had to like, I would, I still can't. I I agree with you. I feel the movie uh, like instantly um, transports you when it starts. The movie like kind of sucks you in immediately. The movie actually puts a lot of its cards on the table within the first 10 minutes. Like there's a lot of, uh, we kind of know how things are going to go. Like it's telegraphing a lot of this stuff very early on. Um, So I think the movie is like very effective. I think it's very, very effective in setting mood and tone. Um, If I had to, there's something that still doesn't sit with I think it's going back to what I said at the beginning of the episode. Like there's, there's a, there's a level of, um, craft and a level of and and by craft i mean not only the craft of the actual filmmaking which is superb um but there's a level of craft where is like i feel um i might get this phrase wrong but uh authorial authorial intent that is very very telegraphed in this movie like i i know somebody very clever is making it and i know somebody very very and like there's a is a is a disconnect a little bit of a disconnect with me because I still have this like weird feeling that it's a little too clever for its own good. It's a little too smart. It's a little too... Now, that's not an issue. And it's not an issue for many people. And it's not really... I still love the movie. I still think it's phenomenal. And I think what this experience has taught me in rewatching this movie today is I kind of want to keep rewatching this movie now because the movie, like it, it... it gets warmer the more you watch it and it, it opens up the more you watch it and it gets funnier the more you watch it. Um, 
and I feel like it gets more accessible the more you watch it. So I feel like in a year's time, when I've seen this movie two or three more times, I think my opinion's going to change again on this movie. Um, but I, in the back of my head, like the smallest little seed of doubt is there where I just think it's too slick. It's a little slick. It's very slick. Um, is that a good thing? I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. No, um, that attitude and that um, understanding that it might take a couple watches, that does not make a good movie. That's a movie should get you there right away. Um, that's why this isn't the number one of all time. Um, yet, my God, it's that internet age mentality that if it's not the greatest of all time, it's not worth your thought. It's not worth your analysis. It's not worth your thinking. This movie is terrific. It's not the greatest of all time, but so much care and craft was put into it that it's so deserving of analysis and attention. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not the greatest movie of all time, but it's so layered that it's worth as much attention as the greatest of all time. Oh, for sure. And, and Elliot, I'm never going to see the greatest movie of all time because I already know what that is. I've already, like, I've already said, like, I think Pretty and Pink's my favorite movie of all time. So like, but like, if you think about it in terms of that, like, it doesn't matter, like, whether it's like, like, I'm always going to love that movie more than I love every other movie just because I, I that's just, that's just who I am. It's what I'm going to do. It's like my, you know what I mean? Um, but it's, it's, it's not really, okay. So put it this way, right? The first time I listened to Kid A, so like, bear in mind like because of my age and like i i will i listened to radiohead day one like day one so basically um i remember when the year when pablo honey came out i got pablo honey on cd the day it came out i bought the cd so like i was in with radiohead from the very beginning now i'm not saying that as a weird flex because who gives a shit it's just because of the year i was born in but what i'm but what i'm what i'm trying to get to i'm trying to get to a point is that i so I listened to that, right? I really loved that record. I listened to the Benz and then the Benz, I was like, oh my God, this is like, I like, I use Radiohead a lot when I talk about movies. I don't know why it's it, it, something very, I don't know. Anyway, there's a lot of ties between Radiohead and movies anyway. But like when we get to the Benz, I was like, this is an expansion of the sound. Okay. Um, you can, you can hear a bit more of the influences. They're starting to sound bigger and better. It's arguably, it's not arguably, it is a better record than Pablo Honey. Pablo Honey being the worst record anyway, and it's still a good record. Now, okay, move moving on from that, we go to OK Computer, right? OK Computer is um is a huge, beautiful, sprawling album. And it's like apex. It feels like they've you could see them on a trajectory upwards and then they hit OK Computer and everybody's, oh my God, this record's a masterpiece. It's even better than Ben's. It's it's phenomenal, okay? Flash forward, they released Kid A, okay? And Kid A, not only was it extremely polarizing at the time, it was also lauded as being this like gigantic step forward artistically for the band and it was it is if you listen to like kid a doesn't sound like the same band that made okay computer it sounds like they're, they're making like this whole new I, I know they're not but it, like at the time it felt like this is like a whole new genre of music this is like wild okay and the point i'm making is is when i first hit kid a i hated it i hated it i didn't like it, it felt super cold i felt detached from it i felt like it was um pretentious i felt like i was like i was like why am i struggling to like this record like why did you stop making the the, the record the music that i like but 
over time, I just kept working at it and working at it and working at it. And then all of a sudden, it just opened up to me. And then I was like, oh my God, I love this record. And then I never looked back. But so what I'm saying about The Lighthouse is, is that like, sometimes I think it's fine to like for a movie to like, I think it's fine for art and movies to require work. Now, I'm not saying that they should require work and it should like, obviously like, I don't think he's intending you to put work in. I think he's just made something dense, but I don't think it's a challenge. I don't think he's laid down the gauntlet and says, figure this shit out. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a challenge, this movie. It's just he chose to make something very dense and very, very complicated and very abstract in the same way that a lot of people make art like that. But the the act of, like, overcoming that and, like, learning learning it and, like, figuring it out, it's the same thing as, like, figuring out a video game or figuring out a puzzle or figuring out the Rubik's Cube or, like, you're learning to code or you're learning this new thing and you're like, I'm going to keep working at this. Like, and then as things open up, you're like, oh, I like this a bit more now. You know what I mean? So, like, there's that element to this movie in, like, a ton of art house movies. Um, and, I, and I really like that. I like, and, like, some of the things that I like the most, specifically music, um, is... I always know if I really dislike, if I like really dislike music, it probably means I'm going to love it. If I'm just <laughs> completely uninterested in it, if I'm just like meh, then I'll always be meh on it. I'll never like, I'll never like it less. I'll never like it more. But if I hate something, it's usually a good indicator. Would you compare The Witch to OK Computer or In Rainbows? Oh, good. Uh, oh. I would probably it's... because I feel like the witch is not open to interpretation as much yet. It is so much more dense. Um, the witch is pretty cut and dry. The witch is pretty, you know, it's, it's a period drama. It's a horror film. Um, there's a lot of difficult language, but in the end you can understand most of it through the visuals. Um, and then the lighthouse comes along tangential, pretty darn close, but it's a lot more funny. It's a lot more um, kind of like you were saying, slick. I would call the lighthouse far more pretentious than the witch. They're comparable. Um, yeah. How would you, well, if <laughs> this is uh, very narrow, but <laughs> if you were to put the two movies as two Radiohead, Radiohead albums, what would they be? I would say uh, the witch is the Benz. <laughs> oh. oh i would say no i'd say the the way yeah the witch is either the beds or okay computer and what i mean by that is that like he didn't come out he didn't come out the gate with something that was unsteady and unsure and like had patches of greatness or like hints of greatness he came out with a stone cold horror classic yep straight out straight yep. out the back he, he, he didn't make short movies beforehand he didn't do any of that shit he just came out and he made a stone cold banger yep of like a horror movie like confident assured like individual unique voice in horror like came out just like ariasta did i suppose with hereditary oh yeah um, just came out swinging um so and then and then th so this is basically midsummer this is the lighthouse is also super hyped also an a24 movie also the sophomore release it's this is the sophomore this is the uh this is not using radio we'll use pearl jam this is 10 this is versus <laughs> not 10 yeah this isn't you know this is um this is never mind not um bleach yeah yeah so this is like like so like 
they they were already good. They're already good to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, like, and well, I guess we'll really know when the Northman comes out. <laughs> well, think about it though, too, because the Northman. I mean, we've seen the trailers. Like, if you listen to this, you've probably seen the trailer for the Northman. It's super hype. That movie, to me, looks like when I when I watched the trailer, the first thing I got was I was like. I was like, okay, well, I'm getting, I'm getting the Ega stuff in here. I'm getting the, like the, um, you know, we have Bjork casting, which is amazing yep. casting, and she looks to be playing like some kind of like, um, like a soothsayer, like some kind of witch character. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get in the fantasy element straight away, and I'm like, okay, cool. And then, but then you have the uh, Alexander Skarsgård, the big muscles, the big Conan the Barbarian stuff, the catching the spear out the sky. And then I was like, oh, well, like, that's interesting. Like, he's doing, like, and the Northman's not A24. The Northman's, um, like, it's a major studio release. It's mm-hmm. not like a, it's not an independent or whatever. It's not like, it's not an indie movie. So, like, you, um, I think that's going to be interesting to see. I think we'll know when we see the Northman, because I think the Northman looks like it's, it's tying in his style, but it looks like he's going a little more mainstream just based off the trailer. And and he said that um, let's say the witch and um, the lighthouse a little bit less their horror. He wanted Northman to be action, action adventure. Great, I think. Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I I will send you the interview. Um, I can mm-hmm. think of it in my head right now. But um, the Northman is going to be action adventure. Terrific. It's evolution. It's growing. It's Radiohead. It's the Beatles. It's it. He's definitely. Um, doing what we all want Wes Anderson to do, which is move on, please, sir. I mean, he's only on his third movie, and he's going to be breaking into new genres. And there are several directors who are terrific and are doing amazing stuff. Um, Robert Eggers is a creative soul. I mean, you could do a whole, I think, will it be best for this podcast, especially after Northman would be maybe doing a up and coming on Robert Eggers because I think we're going to be hearing from him and seeing from him for many decades. Um, God willing, I sure hope so. I'm going to be a fan. For those in the know, like um, he's the he's the guy right now. I think he is the guy. I think I think Eggers has become the um, Christopher Nolan of um, art house movie snobs. So he's like he's the guy. You know what I mean? Like but Tarantino used to be the guy, oh, and now yes, Nolan's a guy. Yes. And like with with the movie bros, and I feel like now for like the movie geeks and dorks, Eggers is the Nolan. He's like everybody's like, oh my god, Eggers. You know what I mean? Like, I everybody's psyched for this movie. You know what I mean? Like everybody. So I feel like he's I although Hereditary and Midsummer, um, were phenomenal, um. Ari Aster has eclipsed Eggers. I don't mean to, you know, imply something that isn't there, but correct me if I'm wrong. If not, um, there's an Eggers Aster kind of divide or competition. Am I wrong in thinking that in my head? So I, I think of The Witch, I think of The Lighthouse, um, I think of Midsummer, I think of Hereditary. They're like two branches of the same tree now very far apart but there was a time when they were pretty damn close oh yeah but i think the difference is is asta um and, and like i'll say something else in a minute but asta is more of a genre filmmaker than eggers is like um the um hereditary is is hor- i would put it in the same genre genre of horror like as um 
The Exorcist. Mm. And then it is very, it's very classic horror. Um, Midsommar is classic horror too, because it's basically the Wicker Man. So he's, mm. he's playing with folk horror. So he's very much, first and foremost, making horror movies and very, very much making genre, um, and like genre specific horror movies. Whereas I feel like the the witch doesn't feel it's it technically folk horror, but it doesn't feel as like studious as Asta. It doesn't feel as um, what's the word? Um, it doesn't feel as much of an homage. Mm. Um, it feels like more like his kind of shtick. Like it it feels a bit more personal to him, um, and less of like I'm going to make a super awesome seventies William Friedkin esque horror. <laughs> uh, like it's more like it's more like this is my own little niche that I'm carving out. And then the lighthouse sends them off again because the lighthouse is kind of uncomparable. Like I'm sure people with better knowledge of film could probably name a million films that it pulls from. But like to me, it felt if very, it's very much like his own thing, which is why I think I'm apprehensive and excited for the Northman because I still want Eggers. I don't want him to make Conan the Barbarian. I want him to make you know what I mean? But I do, I also do want him to make Conan the Barbarian too. I do want him to make an action movie. Like, I love action movies. Like, who doesn't like Vikings, like, catching spears and, like, throwing them? You know what I mean? Like, it looks so awesome. So, yeah, but I think, like, the 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 disparity between the two is, it, I don't think it's a, not a disparity, but I feel like they, <coughs> they, they very, I think they're different filmmakers. They are very different filmmakers, but I just, it's solely the A24 association that I'm thinking of. Um, sometimes, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because if you're talking horror in A24, it's going to be Eggers, Ari Aster, and I mean, God, can you name a third? What was the... Well, now they've brought Ty West into the stable, so they yeah. brought Ty West in with uh, X, uh, which will be an upcoming episode. So like they, they brought him in, you have... Um, the the guy who did um uh green knight yes um, yeah his name uh he's a really good filmmaker but he speak of, talking about his movies he made um old man with the gun the robert redford movie mm-hmm. he made pete's dragon mm-hmm. i don't know if you saw pete's dragon but he made that the live action version of that he um a midnight special he's uh david lowry isn't it yeah in the um did he make the midnight special anyway he also did that movie uh ghost story Oh so my God! Ghost story. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. See, talk about—he's very versatile. He's moving around. He's trying everything. Like, I think he's a great filmmaker. Um, but like, yeah, um, as a stable though, like A twenty four is, I guess, it's the go to. It's the go to studio for for independent. Um, what's the term that they use in the new screen movie for this, these kind of movies? Um, oh God! Not like. They have a term for these kind of horror movies now. It's like um, not postmodern. It's like um, boutique. It, it's something pretty funny. I'll I'll remember what it's, it is. I'll it, tell you when I see it. It's probably it's, yeah. there's like a phrase for this kind of horror. I also appreciate how um, it's the day after the Oscars of 2022, and we have neglected to mention anything about Will Smith and Chris Rock. Do you, is that worth any patter at all? Is the patter there? The slap heard across the world. <laughs> the fuck? It feels like the 2022 assassination of Osama bin Laden. Um, there's, there's, <laughs> I don't give my left shit about it's, it's a Scientologist couple with a pretty decent comedian at a 
award ceremony to clap each other on the ass and smack each other on the back. It's, I don't, I don't care. I'm, I, I frankly, uh, I love it. I think it's terrific. Uh, <laughs> good, good for Will. I mean, I don't give a shit. I don't care. I think, you know what I think, unfortunately, about this is I think it's a win-win for everybody. I think Chris Rock wins because he showed great poise in handling mm. the slap and he mm-hmm. comes across like the better man. Chris Rock, I think, is a very good comedian. He comes across as an even better comedian now because of, like, <laughs> just in terms of, like, and, like, I, yeah, he came across, like, automatically Chris Rock looks great. Now, Will Smith can now play the the um i'm losing my mind card or like you can play like i'm having an emotional breakdown and like he can milk this like will smith's career does not falter because of this at all no i guarantee you there will be some kind of oprah special with will smith in the next month or some kind of big thing where he breaks down he's like oh i've been drinking too much like (laughs) to me it looked like to me it looks like he's been bumping coke but like (laughs) he's um so like he wins because of this um even no matter how shitty of an actor was he wins and then the oscars wins because everybody's talking about the oscars which is essentially irrelevant and in 2022 nobody gave a shit about this as oscars yes and then all of a sudden the oscars is trending it's the trending thing on twitter Mm -hmm. so the oscars wins so well because if there's no such thing as bad press so Hmm. everybody wins in this situation and the fortunate thing is is that it just puts me off all of it. The, the only person I'm not put off by is Chris Rock. Like, if anything, my I I like him more now because of it, because of the way he handled it. I thought mm. it was very, a very professional. Um, I think Will Smith could handle it 100 percent differently, and um, it just kind of the whole thing skeeves me out because if the if the Oscars had a backbone, they should have taken that Oscar back off him because you should not be allowed to assault people yep. on stage, live on television, on an awards show. Mm-hmm. Like, you just should not be allowed to do that. Like, I was thinking about it the whole time. I was like, could you imagine if you were at work and say, like, you worked at a store or you worked in an office and you had an office party and they were like, hey, we're going to we're gonna recognize some team members who did a great job. And then you won. You're like, hey, you're team member of the year. <laughs> so you get up on stage and then you punch out one of your bosses who's at, like, and the, do you think the company would just be like, oh, yeah, that's great. We're not going to fire you. You know what I mean? Like, what the? <laughs> it's so weird. absurd. And then instead of uh, kicking you out, they give you an award an hour later. Yeah. You know what it is? It kind of, it, that action, that slap in that situation kind of encapsulates 20, like th- 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 these past few years. It, it yes. encapsulates like the mood of people. It's, uh, it's the overreactionary um disjointed disconnected to, disjointed not being able to take a joke uh self-seriousness self-righteousness um self-righteous fury like this this whole thing in like um and then it that's basically society right now then you tie that in with throw it back into twitter so this whole thing you know what i mean and like will smith's personal life being all over twitter and his oh, yeah. life being all over the media and it's just like this monster that's just eating itself right yeah. now. Like it's like the snake's eating itself. And like it, it the whole thing's gross. It's mighty curious that the past couple of days, all I was hearing about was how, and all I knew to myself was, I don't give a fuck about the 2021, 2022 Oscars. I don't care. There's a couple of good movies. Um, Coda was okay. Um, I don't, the, the, and, and Oscars viewership is steadily declining. And yet, I'm I'm not at all implying that this was a planned or staged. It wasn't. But what a perfect time for the Oscars to have something 
this uproarious happen because nobody cares about the Oscars anymore. I didn't watch it, and yet I heard about it immediately because of YouTube, Twitter. Um, this is all just ridiculous. There's no more input I dare to give to it because so much has been already said. Uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't escape the image of just that, like, um, I mean, I think it was like 11 o'clock that I finally was hearing about it. 10, 11 o'clock was when it actually happened. Um, and then imagining that midnight to 1 a.m., Chris and Jada getting home. Did he make himself a sandwich? Did he, you know, did they talk? Did they, did he have a glass of wine? I, that's like, all I could think about too. That's all I could think about was yeah. I was like, could you imagine if the entire world you just you just messed up on such a great scale, you did something <laughs> so stupid, and the entire world was talking about it? Like, would you just go home and be like, okay, well, it was a nice night. Like, you know, I gotta like, go to bed. You, like, yeah, you gotta you gotta take off your shoes. You gotta hang up your clothes because you rented tuxedo or whatever. <laughs> And then you're like, oh, I've got to make sure I take my like antacids before bed and <laughs> take my vitamins, brush my teeth, all the while knowing that the entire world is talking about you. It's very, it's very yeah. surreal. Yeah. But apparently what he did was he went out and partied all night long. Oh, well, I mean, to put the demons away. Yeah, right. And then issued an apology today. Yes, I saw that as well. And so the great wheel of history keeps churning over the disenfranchised and we are still stuck in the spokes. So... That's the Lighthouse, 2019. Robert Eggers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this. This was a great, great episode. It's nice to talk about this movie. It's nice to not feel the pressure to talk about something brand new. Yeah. And like, oh, I've got to have my take on this brand new movie, this Ugh. brand new thing, you know. Yeah. We've been able to marinate on this for a while. Mm -hmm. Watch it. Think about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then come back at it with a fresh set of eyes. Yeah. So thank you very much, Elliot, for this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. No problem at all. I think it's still somewhat relevant uh, with uh, Robert, Robert Pattinson and the Batman. And um, yeah, no, totally. So yeah, there, uh, there's like uh, a, there's um, slight connections, but, you know. Oh, no, totally. Eric and I were even debating doing a mini-series and just talking about um, patents and movies because oh there's so God. many good ones recently. Yes. Yeah, so we could do like an episode on Good Time, you know? Yep, um, yep. Like the, the, there's, there's a few, um, that um, Claire Denis movie he did, which was um, the science fiction movie. I forgot the name of it off the top of my head right now. But yeah, there's a the, uh, High Life, I think it's called. Uh, yeah, there's there's a few movies right now we could talk about. But like, yeah, we we were debating that just because like, the guy does the, the Rover. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Rover with Guy Pearce, um, the Australian um, post-apocalyptic movie, which is superb. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff. Um, when The Northman comes out, I would love to uh, either see it with you or um, talk about it afterwards, however it works out. Oh, but... it's, a, it's a given. Yeah. It's a given, yeah. yeah. We're gonna, you're going to be on the episode. But I think sure. that'd be fun. We'll, we'll see it together, yeah. I, I think it would be especially intriguing after uh, The Lighthouse and just seeing how far this man can go, how far, um, you know, he's taking it. I don't know. It's going to be fun, but yeah, thank you for uh, having me. I really like this movie. And, um, I think we had some good, uh, again, salient points. I'm, I've thought about movies a lot, but I don't know if I've thought about any movie more than the lighthouse. That's awesome. Yeah. And you got, and we got to do a podcast out of it. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Hell yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks, Elliot. And everybody who's listened to this thus far, uh, thanks for listening. Um, we will get back to our more regular programming at some point. The next movie we're going to be talking about will be Ty West's um, new horror movie, X. Um, at some point this week, we are going to record that episode. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, it's been another great episode of Movies Last Night. Again, thanks, Elliot. Uh, everybody have a safe and pleasant evening. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.